Welcome to By the Fiberside, a knitting and spinning podcast from the southern edge of northern Alberta, Canada. Episode 29, Owning the Labels. Part of the process of purging before you pack means looking at your every possession objectively. Am I going to use this? Is this important to keep? Is this something I really, really want to move? But even though I haven't started the hardcore purging, I already know of one thing to which I will answer no to all three of those questions, and will keep anyway. It's a tag on a lanyard, bright red, with a large white A printed on it, and one word. Athlete. In the time before knitting, I was a fencer. Or maybe a better way of putting it is that I fenced at the university club twice a week, was the president of said club, and did actually do provincial competitions, where I invariably came in last or close to last. But I did it for almost a decade, and I had fun at it. Then one day, through a series of events that I don't quite recall anymore, our club was asked to do a demonstration for a gold medal plates dinner, which is a culinary competition with proceeds supporting the Canadian Olympic Foundation and high-performance sport programming. We agreed, and four of us went down in our gear. When we walked in, we were given these tags to identify us to the staff. At the time, it made me laugh, this big red tag with the word athlete on it. Athlete! Please! I fenced, fenced for fun, and wasn't all that good at it. I was no athlete. And yet, I was proud of that tag. It was the first time, the first time ever, that I'd even considered applying that word to myself. In the time after fencing, when I was running the sport in the province and learning more and more about sport and the importance of it, I realized that little tag wasn't wrong. Anyone can and should be an athlete. Merriam-Webster defines an athlete as a person who is trained in or good at sports, games, or exercises that require physical skill and strength. The person who goes for a good long walk every day should have as much claim to the word athlete as an Olympian. But it doesn't work that way. When we say someone is an athlete, what we imply is they are high performance. They are there to compete, to win, and not just for the joy of the sport, of being active and having the strength, skill, and body awareness to participate without injury. What would life be like if we could own these labels? these titles, without questioning our rights to them? What if I hadn't laughed when given that tag, disbelieving that I could ever be an athlete? And what about other labels? At my Tuesday group a couple weeks ago, I brought up that I didn't seem to be having as many problems with the Event Horizon pie shawl as some of the other people in the knit-along, and was wondering if that made me an advanced knitter. At the incredulous looks I got from the people around the table, I said, But I haven't knit a sweater. Then later, another knitter there asked if I could puzzle out a stitch that had given others trouble on a shawl she wanted to knit. I read the directions and said, Oh, I know how that works. This earned me another round of looks and laughs. But I still haven't knit a sweater, at least one that fits. 
I feel like I can't own the label of capital K Knitter until I do. But once I do, will there perhaps be another hill I feel I need to climb? Or should the fact that I knit, and complete knitted objects, and for the most part they work out, be enough for me to claim the title? To claim the title of capital S Spinner, I have felt like I need to get through and complete level 6 of the Master Spinner program. But this past week has been, well, let's just say difficult. And I found myself questioning that I can even consider myself a passable spinner, let alone a Master Spinner student. And yet, I carry around a spindle in my purse, and can spin fine singles on it whenever I have a chance to pick it up. If I just want to sit down and spin, I can do that without any problems. I can create yarn. And just yesterday, I stood at a great wheel and spun a half-decent skein first try, without any problems. For all that I feel like the troubles I've had this past while make me less of a spinner, the fact is that I can and do spin, that I can and do teach others to spin, and I am not bad at it, even if I still have lots to learn. So why can't I truly claim the title of spinner? Knitter, spinner, athlete. I can and should have claimed each of these labels as my own. I haven't. And for no other reason than that, with any label, there is an implied adjective. High performance. Societally, there is little room for pride for the amateur, for the person who is less skilled than others at something but enjoys it, who is learning the skill slower than their peers, who is limited by physiology or time or other factors, but does the absolute best they can within those limits. We don't encourage these people to own their labels, but we should. A person who knits is a knitter. A person who spins is a spinner. A person who moves is an athlete. I, I am a knitter, spinner, and athlete. And if I keep repeating that, maybe someday I'll actually own them, without the hesitation in front of each label that I feel right now. Thanks for listening. This is By the Fiberside. Fiber Week. This week, I know why people stop at level three. After last episode, I only had the cable yarn left to do to finish off the novelty yarns for level three, and I had my single spun. I think I even had them plied. And all I really needed to do at that point was cable them. So I didn't manage to get to it on the Sunday, but I did sit down and cable them that week. And it really didn't work at all. And I was hoping it would come out in the wash. It didn't. Pieces of it did. Pieces of it were okay. But there were other pieces of it that were so overspun it wasn't even funny. It wasn't, there was no way it was going to balance. So I was a little frustrated by that because I, you know, I'd I'd spun to the math. And I was sitting there probably about six hours later and I realized that my math was actually wrong. I'd done the math for a two-ply yarn and not a four-ply yarn. So I realized what my error was. Still frustrating. So then I thought, well, maybe I can try and rescue it. If I uncable it 
and get it back to a two ply, maybe I can figure out how much I need to take off of each of the two ply yarns to maybe make it balance. So between Mike and I, I threw it back through the wheel to un- uncable it. And then I sat down with Mike on Friday night and we each had a Nostapinna and we we each took one of the cabled yarns and put it on the Nostapinna. And then Saturday I got up and I did the math for the singles, uh, what, pl- what plying twist I needed for the singles that I had in a four ply. And it turns out that it was close enough to what I'd actually done that it probably should have balanced. So still a little frustrated by that. So what I did instead was I sat down yesterday and I spun a new set of singles for a cabled yarn and, and just did the math for the four ply, spun it to the math again and uh, plied it and cabled it and it came off and it wasn't nearly as twisty as the first one was. So I'm like, okay, well that's an improvement, but I threw that sucker in water and, and it was still really really twisty coming out of the water and I got really really frustrated because I am supposed to be a master spinner student the math is supposed to work it's not and and I don't know why now that said once it dried I picked it off of the uh, the drying rack uh, this morning and it balanced I was completely floored by that so I have a balanced cabled yarn. It even looks cabled. Whether or not it's the actual TPI that I was aiming for, I'm not 100% sure. I can check that. But it balanced. And I don't know what I did differently this time around, besides the math being correct. Now, if it's the TPI that I want, then maybe I'm feeling better about it. But, But overall... This whole twist per inch thing is just driving me bonkers because I should be doing it right. If I'm spinning to the math, I should be getting what I need and I'm not. So the way I figure it, there are three variables. There's the ratio, there's the drafting zone, and there's the treadles. And I need to figure out where, where the variation in those variables is happening, at what piece, and and go from there. So for my ratio, I'm going to double check it. I'm going to double check it across 10 revolutions of the drive wheel rather than just one. Because with the first cabled yarn, the first part of it was fine. But the second part of it was the part that was re- really over twisted. So I'm wondering if in as the drive wheel goes around, if I'm adding too much twist because because my my ratio calculation across one revolution of the drive wheel is okay but maybe I've I've missed it maybe there's a there's a piece and it's like that that half half a stitch in a 4 inch gauge swatch can make a sweater too big if you if you don't take it into account so that's the first thing I'm going to do is double check the ratio but across a larger number of revolutions of the drive wheel if I still have the ratio correct, then I need to figure out where in the drafting zone I'm going wrong. And if I have to make a guess, I think 
it's not in the ply because the ply is easy. You, you just like I lay it out on my lap, the, the drafting zone that I need and then open it up. I think it's in the spin because I'm tall and ergonomically where I'm sitting with my lap cloth on my lap, I think that's where the variation is coming in terms of the actual size of the drafting zone. So I have to figure out a different way to draft. And I'm going to spend the next few weeks in between everything else I'm doing, working on that, spinning some manner of, you know, a few samples to try and get to a a TPI. I'm not trying for the 10 yards at this point. I'm just trying to make the TPI because I need to figure out where I'm going wrong. And until I figure out where I'm going wrong, there's no point in trying to, you know, actually make the exercises happen. Uh, so, and and if I do manage to get the TPI, because I'm taking notes every time I sit down to spin, I can recreate it. But uh, but that's what I'm thinking right now. The, uh, the cabled yarn that balanced is fantastic, except it's only eight yards. So I need to spin more of it anyway because this is one of the things that needs a sample. So, yes, this week uh, and last week have been very frustrating for me. And and just on top of everything else, it was just more stress than I needed. But I think I think this plan is going to work in terms of figuring out where I'm going wrong and going from there. Other plans, I was thinking about it, and everything in the homework that needs a sample made, that's what I'm going to spin next. So I made a list, it's somewhere here on the kitchen table, which I need to clean up. Um, things I think it's things like a, a, an outerwear sample out of wool or a wool blend, uh, something for a summer top. I made a I made a joke in class about how for me a summer top is a wool sweater because I work inside with heavy air conditioning, but uh, but that's not really the point of uh, <laughs> of the exercise. Uh, so yes, outerwear, a summer top, baby clothing. Um, obviously the cabled yarn needs to be made into a wrist distaff, uh, but there's also some silk for embroidery, silk for weft, silk for something else that I can't quite recall. But there's about nine samples that I need to make. So I want to get those out of the way because samples I can take to work and uh, and do those on my breaks. So that is a more efficient use of my time. As we move forward into the next little while. I haven't yet had a chance to sit down and play around with the silk. Um, but because there are th- two or three at least uh, samples that need to be made out of silk... Silk is next on the list, uh, as well as going through and trying to figure out where my where my issues are between me doing the math and me spinning at my wheel. So, but it wasn't a total waste of two weeks. Yesterday there was a spinning party, and the uh, the person whose house we were at has a great wheel, a great wheel with a spindle attached to it, and one of the things we have to do for homework is spin a skein of yarn and ply it on a spindle wheel. And so I looked at that and I went, well, even though I'm really frustrated right now, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity to spin at a spindle wheel. So I had with me some, just some pole worth roving. I grabbed a chunk of it, um, tore pieces off, 
you know, loosened it up by, by, you know, pulling it between my hands a few times and spun from the fold and just stood there at the great wheel and spun. And you know what? I was feeling like a really bad spinner there the last week because I couldn't get this to work. I was, it, it wasn't coming together. I was feeling like a terrible spinner. And then I stood there at that great wheel and within 40 minutes I'd spun and plied a skein of yarn and I've only ever spun at a spindle wheel maybe once before. So that was pretty good confidence booster for me. And, you know, even though I'm not great at woolen or spinning from the fold or anything like that, it's actually not half bad in terms of evenness. I haven't thrown it in the water yet. I think it will probably balance. So, you know, I really needed that. I really did. And it was great fun. You know, there's a part of me that <laughs> there's a part of me that thinks, "Oh, you know, in the new house, we'll totally have room for a great wheel." <laughs> uh, no, we really won't have room for a great wheel in the new house, especially because my great-grandmother's spinning wheel is now in North America, sitting at my parents' place. And I really wish that we could bring it up here so I could see it and play around with it. But I'm trying to declutter the house to get it ready to sell. So it will stay at my parents' place until we move into the new house. But yes, between the three wheels probably won't have room for a great wheel. But I'm sure I can go to Catherine's and play on her great wheel anytime I feel like it. So it's been kind of an up and down couple weeks for Master Spinner but I'm feeling a little more confident. And if I can't figure out what the issue is between the math and me getting to my wheel, in a few weeks, I'm going to give Marg a call and say, I need you to look at how I'm spinning and figure out where I'm going wrong and go out there and get some help. So, so yeah, that's my going to be my approach for the next couple weeks. So for level two... We're actually almost through all of the uh, the level two exercises. This one is module C4, which is spin yarn for braiding. In this case, we had to use a mohair. Now, if I were to braid, you know, outside of the Master Spinner program, I wouldn't be picking mohair because mohair has a halo. And yeah, I don't particularly want halo on my braids. So what I ended up using was a commercial uh, blend that we got in class. It was a 50% wool, 50% adult mohair blend. And because it wasn't a really great preparation, I spun it semi-worsted. Now, if I had to do it again, I would probably comb that preparation before I got to the spinning. Because it wasn't really... It wasn't a good preparation, uh, but by that point, I was just trying to get through. So so with this particular one, I did want to blend be- because mohair tends to halo, so I wanted a blend to keep the halo in check, and it was a woolen preparation, but I spun it short forward draw to keep it, to try and keep the halo down. So, so what I ended up doing was I, I did a lucid braid with this. Now, Now, this is one of the things that my um, 
that I got my brother-in-law making. He's making really, really beautiful lucid forks. And I made uh, this braid on, on one of his. And it worked quite well. The actual yarn itself, uh, again, here we go with the marks. The singles are variable. Intermittent fluffy texture creates irregularities in the braid. That's because it's a woolen preparation, and I really should have turned it into a worsted one for a braid. And again, yeah, because it was a it was a woolen preparation, there's fuzzy bits in it. And yeah, with a braid, you don't necessarily want that. So, so I did lose a mark on that one. But, I mean, overall, I really liked the braid. It had really good stitch definition. So, and and there was quite a bit of give to it as well, because the wool gives it elasticity. So... So yes, worsted spun is the way if you're going to do braids because uh, they stand up to the abrasion of braiding really well. Um, I probably chose incorrectly in terms of the preparation I used for this one. Which, uh, and again, singles variable. <laughs> you know, again, you have to have to work on your consistency. have to work on spinning, spinning consistent. So would I choose mohair? I would probably try and choose a different type of mohair if I was to redo this exercise. Uh, would I do 100% mohair? Probably not. But what I might try and do is comb my own blend for it. So that is the Fiber Week segment. I'm hoping the next two weeks will be a little more positive in terms of progress and my feeling about the whole thing. I th- I think part of it, I'm not giving up. But let's just say the last couple of weeks haven't been the least stressful. And that's just sort of added on to all the stress of the previous month. So I think that's kind of where I'm at. Psychologically, emotionally with it. I need a few successes. The Great Wheel really helped. So... So yes, that's Fiber Week, and we'll look for more progress in a couple weeks. Fiber Notes By Tuesday night, I'd knit holes into my finger again. And that's partly the weather. We're, uh, we haven't had any real snow or precipitation since mm, probably mid-January. So we have very, very low humidity right now. It's just sucking the moisture out of everything, including my hands. So when between that and the fact that we went back down to minus 30, uh, it was just, it was bound to happen. I'm actually glad I got as much done before it happened as I did. So, so I haven't been able to knit I uh, since since Tuesday this this past week. So I'm I'm a little behind on a few things. But you know the the, the progress has not been bad even with that. So on the pie shawl, I started the third ball of yarn. I had my first major mistake just before I started that third ball of yarn. I'd taken it to work and uh and had been knitting on it. I just finished the first pattern repeat of the the large diamonds chart and had had knit on my break and put it down and then picked it back up again on my afternoon break and did not check 
the pattern. Simply, you know, believed that I had the appropriate row in my head, that I knew what I was knitting. And then I got to the evening and, and was doing the knit round of that particular pattern round. And I was getting 27 stitches instead of 25 in between the stitch markers. And I was like, what is going on? Why is this not working? And, you know, I went back and forth. It was 25 on this side and 27 on that side. And I was trying to figure out what was going wrong. And then I opened up the book and looked at the pattern and read my knitting and went, oh, I mixed up two rows. So that was not something that I could fix on, uh, on just, just by picking up a yarn over or whatever. When you, uh, when you make a mistake of that caliber, that means tinking. So I pulled back one whole row, 575 stitches, one stitch at a time, and then re-knit it. And at that point I was tired because it was evening and I went to bed. So I didn't manage to start the third skein that day as I'd anticipated, but I have actually started the third skein now. So in terms of actual, you know, where I am at, I'm still behind because I've got six skeins to finish by March 14th. And so by middle-ish of February, I really should be starting the fourth skein. So I've got about a week before I need to really start to worry. A week, a week and a half before I start to worry about whether or not I'm going to be done. And I know March 14th is just this arbitrary deadline. I still would like to get it done. Not that I can block it. Where do you block a six-foot shawl? I have no idea. We have a king-size bed, but we need to sleep in it. So I'll have to figure that out. Anyway, still really loving this particular shawl. I just adore it. It's fantastic. I'm a little further along on the sleeves. I was taking that to work. Actually, it's all in sort of the work bag. And that was great until I knit the holes in my fingers. And now then I had to put them aside as well. So still working on those. When I did end up with the holes in my fingers, what I did do was I broke out the socks that I'd finished. You know, a long, long time ago, the socks that took me six months and that all I really need to do on them is the, uh, is the, basically the darning, the putting the reinforcing thread into the heel and the ball of the foot. Well, since I couldn't knit, I figured, well, I might as well make progress on something. And I'm actually getting pretty fast at it. I finished off the the reinforcing on one sock. I'm starting the heel on the second. So that's actually going pretty quickly. And that's one of the things... I mean, now that I've sort of got it, I, I kind of really want to finish it. And to top that off this morning, I put on a pair of hand-knit socks and was feeling a little cold in the one spot. Yeah, I need to darn those as well. So I have quite a bit of darning to do. And now I actually only have one pair of hand-knit socks that don't actually have imminent holes in them. So I want to finish those off so I can actually wear them. Because it is minus 30 again. And that means cold, and that means wool socks would be a good thing. So we'll keep working on that. Mostly because even though, yes, I am knitting again, my finger's not quite healed. I can definitely feel that 
if I'm not careful and I don't keep moisturizing and making sure that that I'm careful as I'm knitting, I, I could break it open again in a heartbeat. So I'll probably keep taking the socks to work as my break um, project. And then I'll have a pair of socks. I've been thinking a lot about where the the time that I have over the next few months. And I've decided that I'm only casting on for one new project, aside from the ones that I have on the go right now. And this particular project, uh, unfortunately, also has a timeline. I need to get it done by June, preferably April. But, uh, but it doesn't look too difficult. And the reason for this project is uh, my friend in England is a, is a professor at the London School of Economics. And she's working on a project with, at the London School of Economics called Communicating Chronic Pain. And so she sent me a message and said, hey, would you like to submit something, you know, to, to this project? I was like, sure. What, what word count do you need? She said, well, we're actually looking for things that are nonverbal, that are visual art kind of stuff. And I went, oh, that will take a little bit more planning. So I thought about it. And actually, my idea came to me really relatively quickly, like half an hour after she told me what it was that, uh, that she needed. For Christmas, I got the Topsy Turvy Inside Out Knit Toys book by Susan B. Anderson. And one of the toys in here is a reversible doll. So you can have, a, you know, two, two, basically faces. And so I had a brilliant idea of what to do with this. So I need to knit said doll and, and then use that in a way to, to, you know, visualize, provide a visual representation of my, my brand of chronic pain, how I, how I see my chronic pain. So, so I'm really quite excited about this, but it means I need to cast on for the doll and they're accepting submissions until June. So I'm going to put a link to this in the show notes. I think there's some accepting submissions from anybody who wants to submit some manner of art or poetry anything about communicating chronic pain in an, in a new and different way. So uh, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Some of the things that have already been submitted are brilliant. So, and, and yeah, I'm, and I'm knitting a doll, but, but this is my medium and, and yeah, we'll see how it turns out. I need to find myself some acrylic yarn because I'll do this out of the my leftover, my my red heart and burnout and my acrylic bin, but I don't have any skin tone, so I need to go and find myself some skin tone uh, yarn, and then I can cast on this project. So I'm hoping to get to Michael's sometime this week and hopefully find something appropriate. So that will be the last new project I cast on until we move into the new house, probably. <laughs> I should never make that, you know, make the, that statement, but I'm, I'm pretty sure there's a lot to do. And, and I think this will be the last new project I cast on, but in terms of the actual construction of this doll, I'm hoping it's going to go really quickly. The part that will slow me down will be the art part of it. So anyway, that's where I'm at with my projects. I'm going to be careful about the knitting, but I am going to be making some progress and Hey, I might actually have a pair of knit socks. 
by the next episode. By the Wayside Because of the spinning party yesterday, I only managed to get in one Saturday night on the tapestry in the last couple of weeks. I got home late, still had to cook dinner. By the time I'd eaten and looked around, it was 8.30 and I was really tired and I needed to go to bed. So I only managed to get one one Saturday night in. If tonight goes okay, I'm hoping to sit down tonight and actually make up for that. But I'm not making any promises on that, so... The Saturday night I did spend on it, I got a lot done. The uh, the red horse, um, that big section I was working on, is completely finished. And I've started to, to do a little bit of the filling in on, on the rest of the legs of the horse. So I think one more night and the horses will be done, which is awesome. Then it's back to a little bit of outlining, uh, doing the shields. That's the plan anyway. And I uh, keep thinking that, oh, it would be really nice to get this done, to be able to, you know, give this to to Nathan, say at Fiber Week, or at some point to to not have it. I don't think it's going to happen between the homework and everything else that I've got going on. But you know what? I think maybe once we get through the next couple months, we've, we've done the purging, we've done the tidying the house is listed, I think there'll be more time. You know, I really do think there'll be more time. And yeah, there's going to be a lot of homework still to do. But I think there's going to be more time for other things as well. So, so we'll see. I I still, it's in my head, you know, that that I'd like to get this done for him before we move into the new house. So, I don't know, maybe... Maybe once the homework is done, the samples for the homework, maybe I start taking the tapestry to work and doing 15 minutes on it, on my breaks. We'll see. But I definitely think I'm not casting on any new projects until until the new house. i got to get through what I'm working on right now. So Anyway, I'll put up a picture. I've got two of them. One is the, the full shot, and I've got a detail... I guess you can call it detail, not that much closer, of the horses themselves. So I'll put those two pictures up on the website. And yeah, hope you enjoy them. So that is the By the Wayside update. Thank you for joining me for episode 29. By the Fiberside is a bi-weekly podcast, and I look forward to bringing you episode 30 on February 23rd, 2014. Show notes for this episode can be found at www.bythefiberside.com. Join the discussion in our group on Ravelry. If you need to get in touch with me directly, you can email me at ness, as in Loch Ness, at bythefiberside.com. Thanks again for listening. This is By the Fiberside.